0: Career Day Live is a Stop Clowning Around production. You can learn how Stop Clowning Around helps people succeed in life and career by mastering the art of connection and relationships by visiting StopClowningAround.com or Facebook.com forward slash Stop Clowning Around.
1: you're big and a
0: little bit bolder what do you want to be let's explore the world of law it is not enough to say you want to be an attorney or a lawyer there are many types of law to be practiced and each type is quite different from the others career day live will seek to provide insight to the various practices and we start today with emily kirk emily is an estate attorney and as you will learn. She prepares families for one of the most important and also most dreaded life events. Emily, thanks for joining us today. Could you tell us what your title and role really is and how you got there?
1: Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Um, I am an estate planning attorney where I help people create their wills and trusts for their families, basically, And I got here after um, going to law school. I went to Washington University School of Law here in St. Louis. And I started out as a litigator. So I did business litigation for many years. Then I changed careers to education, and I was an administrator at a local college. And then I came back. There was an opportunity for me to come back and learn to do estate planning and so um, I did that, and then I recently this year opened my own estate planning firm, and that's exclusively all I do um, with clients is meet with them, create their wills and trusts, and hopefully give them peace of mind uh, when they're done.
0: So ultimately, what drove your passion for estate planning?
1: Well, I really liked it when I, I took trust in estates when I was in law school, and it's an interesting Area, I thought just um, the way that the intestate succession flows, meaning like um, who your heirs really are, the different ways that you can get your assets to the people or the places that you want them to be if it's a charity, and it required a lot of attention to detail, and it was kind of like a logic puzzle, and so I really enjoyed that in law school, but it wasn't something I really considered practicing until I had the opportunity um to actually learn what the practical aspects were, and I found that I really enjoyed working with the clients, like meeting people, hearing their stories, helping them accomplish their goals. To me, it was a positive thing to put into the world, which was kind of in contrast to how I felt about litigation, which was arguing and bad feelings, even in business litigation. You know, it's kind of a negative experience for everyone involved. Even if you win, you're kind of bruised by it. But the estate planning was and is like a positive thing The people come there and I don't have to subpoena them. (laughs) They seek me out and I give them something positive that they take back to their families. And then they have peace of mind and when something happens to my clients, you know, they die as we all do. Their families, you know, have harmony and peace because they did do this estate plan and it's all taken care of. And that's a good thing to put out in the world as far as I'm concerned. And so that's really, you know, I enjoy the day-to-day practice giving the, the clients the attention to detail and the overall knowledge that, you know, I'm doing something good.
0: How do you find most of your clients, or or really when do they call you? Is there a time that you see they're reaching out? Did they recently lose a loved one? Is there an event that usually drives that initial phone call, or is it all over the board?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question. There are several triggers that I found for people to actually seek out estate planning. Recently losing a loved one is a very common one, and it kind of is two ways. The um, person who died either totally didn't have it together and the family member had to go through a whole bunch of rigmarole and it was a very, it was a nightmare to sort out and they don't want that for their families or the loved one who passed away did have everything in order and they think I want that for my family too. It was so easy. I want to make sure my affairs are in order. So that's kind of how that happens. Um, the birth of a child is obviously a common one and usually <laughs> I sound like the birth of a second child is more of a trigger. I think people, you know, after the first one, they're so busy and just consumed with life and taking care of a newborn. And then when the second child is born, they're like, "Oh boy, we really need to to do something here." Um, traveling without your children for the first time—that's a big one. Uh, people, parents getting on a plane together. They think, oh, what if something terrible happened? You know, we haven't made any arrangements for our children, so let's get that done. Um, Children going to college. And, you know, people revisit their estate plans during their lives. If you have young children, you need to name guardians for them and make arrangements to have the money managed for them until they're adults, et cetera. Uh, Young people might have their parents acting as their medical power of attorney, you know, somebody to make decisions for them. If they cannot, um, then, you know, as they grow and their children become adults and their own parents become elderly or pass away, then the children kind of take over those power of attorney roles and money management roles and things like that. So, you know, your estate plan evolves with your life, I guess, is what I'm saying.
0: No, that makes absolute sense. As you're talking I'm I'm dreaming about your role and I've had enough exposure to a variety of different types of legal work. Most of it quite frankly to me is an absolute bore. I would not want to yeah. get into all those details, <laughs> but something that I think is very interesting about yours, uh the the, the line of work that you're in is I I think that you're part attorney but are you also part counselor through the process? Oh, absolutely,
1: and I really enjoy that. You know, sometimes people come and maybe they've had an issue. You know, an adult with one of their adult children. They could have uh, the children, the child might have an addiction problem, for example, or a bad marriage, or uh, a disabled child, or something like that. And helping people kind of work through those. You know, sad. Life circumstances and offer them hope in, you know, how they can handle that. I really enjoy that part of it. You know, it probably about, you know, twenty percent of people have of the clients that I see have an issue like that. And just for them to talk to me about it and see what their options are, the sense of relief they have is palpable, and they're always like so thankful just to have an objective person who's not judging them. You know, help them figure that stuff out. So that's, you know, a very serious issue. Or if people have had, you know, somebody die recently, they can be very emotional or if they hadn't, you know, when people come in and they talk about what if I die, who's going to take care of my children? I've had people cry many a time just thinking about that because it's such a serious issue. But that's why I try to really focus on my client service and make it easy for them. I just, I have kind of a standard set of questions that I ask. We have two meetings. You know, they don't have to bring a lot of paperwork. We can focus on the bigger picture for them, um, what they want to accomplish. And then I try to, you know, make it easy for them because it can definitely be an emotional thing to do, to plan for your death essentially is what you're doing. So you know, sometimes that overwhelms people a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, I have done it and it is a bit overwhelming because you think of things you never really thought of before and you're forced to yeah. think about it. So absolutely. You know, I usually ask a question of what does your day or week normally look like? And I think you've already partially answered that in the fact of mm-hmm. you meet with people and you talk through these very difficult uh, conversations and ultimately help them plan really their uh their legacy more or less what they'll be leaving behind and how it'll be dispersed um what else do you do i mean i know that there's still a level of detail and a level of paperwork you have to deal with can you explain kind of how your week might be divided up and what the average day or week really does look like
1: yeah of course well now that i have my own firm I am so, I'm totally flexible in terms of my scheduling. Um, I have an office at which I meet with clients or I can go to their homes. So, usually I try to cluster those kind of appointments a couple of days a week. And then the rest of the days I use for drafting the documents because that's the nuts and bolts. That's what I have to actually produce for the clients. So, um, we draft. So, my basic process is that I meet with the clients find out their needs. I draft the documents, they look at them, and then we meet together to sign the documents. So it's two meetings with a client. And then, you know, I have two younger children, so I pick them up from school every day and I do some of my work, you know, after 10 o'clock at night in my home office um, or, you know, when they're gone at school during the day. So it's really nice to be able to be flexible in my schedule like that. I took all of Wednesday of this very week to do a field trip with my fifth grade daughter. Like it was a whole day field trip. So I'm glad to be able to do that kind of stuff. It really does provide the flexibility that I want, you know, to be able to be with my family as well as have this, you know, rewarding work that I do. And I like all aspects of it. I mean, sitting down to do my documents. I like that. It sounds kind of goofy, but Paying attention to the detail and getting everything just right and worded exactly right, um, for my clients is enjoyable to me. And then there's other things like, um, marketing my firm. I have my own firm, so I have to think about, um, how I'm going to get the word out to people, referral sources that I get. Um, I did a presentation this week to a women's group that I'm a part of, just, you know, letting people know that I'm out there and kind of what the process is and, you know, trying to drum up business, basically.
0: Absolutely. And you have your hands in several different pockets of work. Really what jumped out to me, though, and I want to express this a little to the listeners. In a moment, we're going to be talking about income ranges of someone that might do the work that you do. And I always like people to realize that currency can be measured in other factors uh, in addition to money or or not just money. And I think too often we look at, well, how much does it pay? And what I heard you say is, yes, it's with your own firm, but you've created a life that allows you the flexibility to be a mom also. And again, I don't Mm -hmm. know what you make. I don't need to know what you actually make. But it sounds to me that that is a sort of currency for you.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, time. And I think this is very true with a lot of women, especially, but also men, that sometimes time is the more important thing. You know, if you're at a firm or at a job where you can get like extra vacation days or extra time off, sometimes people would rather have that than money because you do have other very important things in your life that you want to make time for. So I, you know, believe me, I have worked really hard, long hours, many, many years to get to the point where I am today. And, you know, I'm graduated from law school 20 something years ago. So um, I paid my dues in a way, but this, you know, is ideal where I am now is just, it's perfect for me because being there for my children and my husband is, is a priority, but also doing rewarding work that is rewarding to my soul and emotions is also important to me. So, you know, did I make a lot of money when I was a business litigator? Heck yeah, I did. But ultimately, it was not enough to keep me in that specialty, because of the time limits. And I just didn't like the work. Like you said, it was kind of boring. And I I was not excited to sit down and start doing it. And it I had a beautiful office uh, downtown overlooking the arch, wonderful colleagues, all that stuff, but I just was not happy doing that. So I definitely have learned I need something besides money (laughs) for sure.
0: Emily, you've told us all the great things about your role, and I can hear the passion in your voice as you talk about it. Uh, I do have to ask is there anything about your job, your role that you do kind of dread though? Is there something that's just not fun?
1: Honestly, no, not about what I'm doing now. I am like so professionally fulfilled and satisfied. I can't think of anything that I dread about about this work. You know, I mean, I could tell you a number of things when I was a litigator, but I really am... I am so happy with what I'm doing. It, You know, I can't really think of anything negative. I'm sorry. I don't mean to sound corny, but no, I can't.
0: That, that's great. And we find it. I, I could not do your job. I do not like really? detail. I could do the counseling Uh-oh. part. I could do the talking part. The detail would drive me batty getting into the documents and having to make sure every I is dotted, every T is crossed. It is absolutely not for me. It would be living in a world of extreme boredom. Or, uh, oh, I, I, I love ju- that. I stuff. just I, and I get it, and that's what's great about this show is there are roles for each and every one of us, and we are all different. So to chase a a a role or a job or a career based on money is you're out of your mind to do it because we all have a perfect fit out there or close to perfect. And I'm so grateful that you found yours, and it wouldn't be mine. Although there's things about your job I would like it would Mm -hmm. not be my perfect fit. So your answer is uh, a great answer, which drives right to the next question. If that's the case, looking at your own personality, looking at who you are, what is that type of person? If you could pick them, who excels as an estate attorney? Who is that perfect picture?
1: So somebody definitely who likes attention to detail, likes editing documents, You know, one of my favorite things to do is edit other people's work. (laughs) There's something about editing. Like if I read someone's essay or anything somebody else has written, it's like mistakes jump out into my eyeballs. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but I can spot mistakes so easily when I'm reading something over. So if that's kind of what you like to do, if that is something that you share, and that's kind of the attention to detail and the follow through as well. You can't just, oh, I assume that's fine. No, you have to read the document again. And again, you have to follow up with people. You have That was one of the hardest things I learned, I think, when I started working, is you can't just ask somebody to do something and assume it gets done. You have to follow up, follow up, follow up. I mean, that's one of the keys to success as far as I'm concerned. Um, for estate planning, again, being – Friendly and empathetic, but also not taking on people 's you know emotional burdens too much um, you are not their actual psychotherapist. you are there to do a job and provide a service, which is you know uh, these legal services that they're asking for and um so if you got like too emotionally involved with people, maybe that wouldn't be for you so there's a line between being compassionate and empathetic and still remaining like a professional distance, you know, maintaining that distance. And you know, what you are doing is helping them. So, and helping them is not necessarily crying with them, but providing the service that, that, that they want. So, um, you know, that, that kind of person, I think. And then, you know, going to law school, first of all, you have to have attention to detail. You have to like to read, you have to, like English and history and government and, you know, things like that. I mean, and you do have to be able to make a case. You have to like logic. You can't just spout off, you know, if people say you like to argue because you just spout off all the time without any basis, that's not going to be it. You will be challenged. You will be held to facts. You will be held to account. Um And it's a lot of hard work for sure. So, If that's, you know, something you enjoy, law school may be for you. And then, of course, you have to pass the bar, which is a very difficult two-day exam. And then you, you know, choose your specialty, basically. And, you know, you're probably not going to get it right, right out of the gate. There are very few people who start their first job and are there 20 years later. Some people are out of the practice entirely, and most people have at least changed jobs at least once or twice. So you know whether it's firm or specialty you know you have to be willing to to learn and make a make a jump if you're not happy
0: you are the perfect guest on this show for several reasons first of all you just walked me right into the next question perfectly and you don't <laughs> even know where I'm going but second of all i just you know i thank you again for for taking this time because you say that most will not find their right spot the first time but you taking this time right now to share about your role does help somebody get there quicker. And I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. So with that being said, you know, you are speaking as a mature uh, person who's been doing this a while. I can hear it. That is fantastic. But can you talk about what the early years might look like? So I, I, I made it through law school. I've passed the bar. I probably can't jump into just opening up my firm right away. How do I get the the experience? What What's kind of your recommendations there?
1: Right. Well, um, you, people at the top of your class, you know, you're the top 20%, 25%. They have a lot of opportunities at the big firms in town where you make a lot of money, but you're kind of one of a group of associates um, who start there every year, and you will be grinding away. And... They have billable hour, uh, quotas for the year, and a billable hour is an hour that you can bill to a client that the firm gets paid for. That does not include lunch. That does not include meetings about the firm, you know, what's going on with the firm. That only is you sitting there doing client billable work. So, you know, you figure out, oh, I only need eight billable hours a day to make my quota for the whole year. Well, that means you're probably going to be spending 10 or 11 hours at work because you're going to go to lunch. You're going to have a meeting, this and that, um, talking to your senior partner about your vacation time or whatever it is. Um, so it is, you know, if you go to one of those uh, high paying firms, they get their money's worth out of you. I mean, it is a lot of money, but, you know, starting salaries are around 140,000 right now at those big firms and they they get it out of you. That's for sure. So people think, oh, I'm just going to sail in there and make all this money and go to the country club all day. Uh-uh. I mean, you might as well be, a, in a way, like, chipping away at a, a rock. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. But after that, you know, um, and really, actually, not. there's no after that. If you stay at that firm, it doesn't stop, really. It's just billable hours, billable hours. So. There are other firms, of course, you can work at if you are closer you know, to the bottom 75% of your class or you have different interests. You can work at a lot of other firms. You can do a smaller firm where usually they don't have as many billable hour quotas. You can go to a plaintiff's firm, and plaintiff's attorneys get paid um, as a percentage of a settlement. So they actually don't have billable hours, which is a big advantage um, for a plaintiff's firm. You could do family law. I mean, there's all kinds of different things. You could uh, be a prosecutor. You will not have billable hours as a prosecutor, for sure. You have a caseload, though. Public defender, the same way. So some kind of government job that doesn't require making a profit. You won't have billable hours. Of course, you get paid a lot less, too. But you still work hard. Um, It's hard work at the beginning. There's no doubt about it. And you have to establish yourself with an excellent work ethic, with high professional standards, the highest ethical standards. I mean, people do get disbarred. You know, you've passed the bar, but that doesn't mean you get to stay. uh, You don't you get to keep being a lawyer forever. If you really screw up, you can lose your license. So lawyers are very careful with that because that's your livelihood. You have to you're you're held to these standards by the Missouri Supreme Court. So, um, yeah, there are a, a variety of jobs out there. But Certainly, starting out as a lawyer, you know, you're, you're going to work. There's no doubt about it because you don't know anything. So when you go to the firm, they are going to teach you, but they're also going to expect you to really put in the time, put in the energy to get up to speed. And that's why the experience is, you know, so important.
0: So what I really hear you saying is you're going to work hard right out of school, period. Yeah. When it comes to finding your right place and right income, there is a trade off probably at every single part of your job. Because I would assume, even if you make senior partner, you're still devoting an extreme amount of time to the job, not to mm-hmm. the country club. So, absolutely. It seems like if I'm going to move into the line of work of a lawyer, attorney, and, you know, we define out those specialties. One of the hardest jobs for you is probably just understanding where your balance is at, you know, what I want, yeah. because I've learned and I have enough life maturity at this point to understand that lots of money, that's great. But if you don't have time to spend it, what's the point? You've got to find exactly. a balance in there. And and I, again, appreciate you helping us see that and, and understand that. My next the other thing. Yeah, go ahead. Can I
1: just go back a little bit too? Your life changes. So if you graduate law school and you're twenty four years old and you're not married and you don't have any kids, you may be happy to bust your bottom and work, 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 and make all that money and all that stuff. You know, but then maybe you meet your spouse, maybe you have some children. So it does change over time. It's okay to move into these different areas and say, you know, this is no longer for me. (laughs) I thought it was, I didn't mind working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. um, But I don't want to do that anymore. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I felt like. So, um, you know, the good thing about a JD, a law degree, is that you do have other options open to you. And you can move around a little bit. It's not like, oh, I'm stuck doing this forever. So but it's, you know, it's, kind of scary to move around and give up money and that kind of stuff but it definitely can be done.
0: Well, what would you recommend to an individual that just again graduated uh with their JD and they're sitting there looking for their career, they're trying to find their place. Maybe they're being recruited, maybe not, but or even they're being recruited, they they just they just don't feel confident in making a decision yet. How can they learn about the different types of firms out there? What's the best way of understanding all the options?
1: Well, I think the career services department, all law schools have an active career services department. They want to try to place you. They have different events. Um, I participated in panels that were like non-traditional legal careers when I was um, an administrator at a college still with my JD. So they had you know a bunch of people who had law degrees and were attorneys but didn't practice anymore. So they do put on events like that, talking to people who actually do the job you're interested in day to day. You know, if you just call people, most attorneys they'll talk to you for a few minutes and kind of give you some insight. If there's somebody you're really interested in, if you know anybody in the field that could introduce you to someone you admire, and they could give you ten minutes on the phone, you know. That would be great. There's a lot of legal organizations out there where you could um, connect with other attorneys and network with other attorneys. My only advice is to really try to find out what the day to day life of an attorney in the job you're looking at is like. You know, if it's a prosecutor and you have to spend a lot of time looking at, you know, dead bodies or pictures or, you know, listening to disturbing stories um, from victims, things like that. Maybe you were attracted to the trial aspect, but maybe that aspect, you you know, that's not great for you. So just try to get as much of a sense as you, as you can of what those people's life is like every day, because then that kind of will help you understand if that's for you or not. And sometimes you don't understand it until you actually do it. And then you might find out, like I said, after a year or five, (laughs) that it's not for you. But if you do your best, because day to day is how you're going to do your job. You know, you, it's not, oh, in 10 years, I'm going to be here. I mean, it's good to think about that. But what you need to think about is every single day when I go to work, what am I going to be doing? And what's it going to be like? And who am I going to be interacting with? And, you know, is that something that I enjoy doing? So that's my advice
0: great advice and i'm gonna just add one piece to it and it's just be honest with yourself too often we uh, get the information and we just think that we're we can be different we know we know who we really are but we think we'll be different in this circumstance and that's usually not the case so just be honest with yourself be who you are and that's ultimately where your fulfillment and contentment is going to come from anyway
1: yeah that's definitely true I mean I wouldn't have thought of myself as necessarily a people person or somebody who like talking to people as much as I do, but I do. I don't know. I guess I've always kind of liked giving advice and helping people talk through their problems. So I guess that's the part of me that's coming out with the estate planning work that I'm doing. Um, But, you know, that certainly wasn't at the forefront of my mind when I was searching for my career after law school. So you know, you kind of have to dig down a little bit and see what is it really going to be like for me day to day.
0: What I love about this interview is you've given permission to not get it right the first time and to have some movement and flexibility in your life. And for that, I I thank you. Um, getting, Getting back to, you know, the specific role of being an estate attorney, a lot of times I'll ask, you know, what's the future outlook of this career look like? And I've always heard, you know, there's only, I think, two certain things in life, and that's death and taxes. So (laughs) it sounds to me that there will always be a need for estate attorneys uh, as long as there's life on earth.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, right? So uh, there are always going to be, you know, it's a kind of a very, very old practice. As long as there's been civilization, there have been people, you know, owning property and people dying. So, you got to figure out how to get that property to the people you want to have it. So that, you know, the law of wills, I mean, is centuries old, centuries old. Of course, there's been a lot of development since then. We have revocable trusts and all kinds of different things now. But, I mean, it's a, it's a very old idea that you need to pass your property, figure out what's going to happen to your loved ones, to your heirs upon your death. So, yeah, it's been around for centuries and will probably be around (laughs) as long as, you know, people live and die and and have things and own things. So I feel like the outlook is good for that. You know, Missouri has some really good estate planning laws which uh, help with the practice and really have some good options for people. So, you know, I feel lucky to be in this state doing it as well because, you know, it's, it's some good stuff here.
0: Emily, if someone wanted to connect with you, maybe just to learn a little more, you mentioned that if someone calls, most people are willing to talk for a few minutes, and and I know you would be helpful with that. And hey, someone might actually need your services. If they wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to connect?
1: Well, I do have my website for my firm, which is uh, kirkestateplanning.com. And all my contact information is on there, a little bit about my background, what my values are in terms of how I want to treat clients. And then I have upfront pricing. That's another thing that I like about my practice is there are no surprises. My pricing is right on my website. I tell clients, you know, when I first meet with them what it is. It's a flat fee, so I don't have to charge by the hour. So I don't have to keep track of my time, which is good, because the fee, you know, is the same based on what you choose to have done. So that's been another, you know, just a, has been another bonus for me is that I don't have to, you know, surprise clients or send them these bills or do any of that. The fee is out there and, and that's it. So if people wanted to look at my website and, of course, uh, my phone number is on my website and my email. So anybody who wanted to call, I'd be happy to talk to them.
0: Excellent. And one thing I have not shared this entire episode is the fact that you are my personal estate attorney and you were highly <laughs> recommended to me. And you delivered and delivered well. I was impressed by your work. And so I would highly recommend you to anyone that might be looking for someone to support them uh, with their needs as well. Emily, thank you so much. Not a problem. And I want to thank you for taking the time of just sharing a little bit about your role, your career, and helping some younger people, or even quite frankly, those who might be middle-aged looking for that transition, that perfect spot, understand a little more of what you do and changing a life today. So again, I say thank you.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I really
0: enjoyed it. This program is only possible with the support of guests that care about helping others find their calling. If you or someone you know would be interested in sharing Please email us at cdl at stop